0: This recording has been produced by Christ Church Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Good evening, everybody. I'm David, and uh, I look after the church and many other things. And I'm not the um, regular teacher of this Bible study. Um, It's actually her husband. And uh, while he's better-looking and smarter, I am funnier. (laughs) And don't forget it. Okay, so let's pray. So uh, Father in heaven, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you that uh, you left us the the witness, the testimony of your word. We pray that uh, all of us will uh, learn to cherish Uh, your word and devote ourselves to your word to read your word and Lord give us the grace uh, most of all to apply what we've learned. We ask that uh, by reading and studying uh, this evening Lord that uh, you will um, use this just to uh, make us a little wiser, transform us even just a little bit so that we may be uh, conformed to your image. And we ask this for Jesus' sake, amen. Okay, so we, last week, we started with 19, and uh, we only uh, started with 19 verse one in the book of Acts. We didn't get very far, in part because it's a very rich chapter, oh my goodness, there's so much uh, there. Maybe it's one of the most exciting, uh, interesting chapters in the whole book of Acts. And I'm sorry that um, Aaron missed it. Uh, it uh, we also had a huge amount of um, internal discussion. And maybe you can see why when we run through some of the review uh, for the first half and then we'll do the second half. So before we do um, the review, I would like to read um, from um, verse 23. Okay, that's where we, I believe that's where we stop and we'll read all the way to the end of the chapter. And our tradition is to read one verse at a time but. Maybe we'll read two verses at mm-hmm. a time, and I'll ask Sharon to start. This is 23. 23, yeah. And about that time there arose no small disturbance concerning the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have that wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in almost all of Asia this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made the hands are not are not gods. So gods made with hands are not gods. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. <coughs> they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the, soon the whole city was in an uproar. The seized Gaius and the all traveling from Macedonia and rushed as one man the, into the Italian theater. Mm. No hope instance will send go in no, before no. the mass, and they the highest was in full for the ring, but the rest going to come the same way. but Alexander when Alexander a talk for the people. He but when they realized he was a two, they all started in the unison for about two hours. They is Artemis of the efficient. The city clerk quietly drawled and said, "Men of heaven does not the world know that the city of Jesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image, which fell from heaven? Since this is an indisputable fact, we shouldn't be disturbed, no matter what is said. We should do nothing rash." Yet you have brought these men here who have stolen nothing from our temple and have not defiled it. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once, let them make formal charges. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. Uh, as, uh, as it is we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events in that case we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it after he said this he dismissed the assembly this is the word of the lord okay so let's just begin with the with the review because the context here is is incredibly uh, uh important this Uh, may I remind you, uh, you might say it's the apex (coughs) or the crescendo of Paul's ministry uh, as a missionary. He is in this town for three years, almost three years. He works with his hands. He lectures uh, in the synagogue uh, to Jews and to God-fearers and then he uh, Speaks almost daily to pagans uh, in the tradition of a of a Greek uh, philosopher, and uh, it is from here that he will go through Greece, collecting money to take to Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem, it's in, it is his intention to go to go to Rome. All right, so um, uh, as you know. Uh, that doesn't quite go exactly according to plan, but he does uh, end up in Rome. Okay, so what is the uh, the context? The context, a little bit of a further context, is that Ephesus is an incredibly large, uh, influential city. And Paul seems to have something of an urban strategy, that he's going to uh, uh, spend time making uh, disciples, training disciples. Uh, tr- not only evangelizing but making disciples. And in fact, what he does is very beautifully uh, described in um, 20, uh, Acts chapter 20, in which he gives a farewell address to the elders at the Church of Ephesus. A very touching farewell address. But Paul is still a hot commodity, uh, even when he comes back to the Ephesus area, so he doesn't go directly. Uh, directly uh, into town and it's his hope and and it it obviously works that from Ephesus other cities will be uh, touched uh, by the gospel and so uh, when verse 1 of chapter 19 when Apollos was at Corinth Paul took the road to the interior he arrived at Ephesus and here you have this uh, amazing um, incident uh, in which uh, Paul um, asks uh, some disciples, um, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Okay, so question number one about this passage, which becomes very controversial, and it becomes, uh, these verses become like a tug-of-war between Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals. So question number one, are these folks Christians? Right. So we talked about that last week and we pretty much at least I came down uh, on the side that when Acts uses the word disciples, it's almost always talking about uh, believers in Jesus. Uh, So have they heard of the Holy Spirit? If they were baptized by John, they most likely heard about the Holy Spirit. It doesn't seem uh, possible because John was always preaching this anticipation of uh, of the Holy Spirit and as I said last week this gets me into trouble sometimes but but in actual fact John's preaching was about there's going to be a judgment almost like a Holocaust or there's going to be a Pentecost all right and Jesus uh, actually in John chapter 11 and in Luke's gospel as well, disagrees with John's eschatological timing. Right? He doesn't go along with the the fact that there's going to be, or as John sees it, imminent, imminent judgment. Uh, Jesus has sort of a different timetable, you might say, for uh, for future events. Uh, and the que- first question, which is really the most important, because everyone starts a- arguing about baptism. Paul doesn't say, are you baptized? But he says, do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I'll come back to that in a second. Um, <clears throat> so do you get the Holy Spirit at baptism? You get the Holy Spirit when you believed. Believe. Is there a second blessing? I, I have no intention of solving this argument. I mean, people have been talking about this for quite some time, quite a long time, and uh, different denominations and different scholars all have written brilliantly, you know, on one side uh, as opposed to the other. I would um, like to just point out, um, look, it's not only what happens at baptism, but, I think the question would be for us from all of this, how are we living out our baptism? Or how are we living out our baptismal vows? Yeah, that would be maybe a better question or a more relevant uh, question to ask. And I think that um, living, out, living out our baptism or living out the vows that we make at baptism means that we're being transformed and we're being changed. Yeah, you know, uh, we can spend a lot of time arguing about the doctrine of this or the doctrine of that, and these it can be important discussions. But uh, you know, do we have the spirit? Are we living a life in the spirit? Is the spirit active in our lives? I, those those are uh, questions that we should probably ask ourselves, you know, on a on a on a regular basis. I think uh, the other thing that We emphasized and got a little bit bogged down in baptism in the name of Jesus. So, there could be a couple of possibilities here. Is it baptism? Well, it could be that baptism wasn't, or the way baptism was done, wasn't uniform in the early church. I know this scandalizes some people, but that's quite a possibility. Yes, there's no uniformity. It also could mean that when uh, Paul baptizes them in the name of Jesus, he's not talking about a formula, but he's talking about uh, it, it's a it's a description, uh, and so you get all you get these people who say, if you haven't been baptized <coughs> in the name of Jesus, so your baptism is somehow <coughs> invalid, but in the Greek, which reflects the Hebrew, in the name of Jesus is for the sake of Jesus. For, for the sake of Jesus, or according to the way of Jesus, kind of according to the teaching of Jesus. Well, Jews are taking lots of ritual baths, right? Even Paul, after, his convert, after Paul was baptized in the name of Jesus, he comes to the Temple Mount here, and he takes a ritual bath before he goes up onto the temple. Right? That's, he immerses himself. So, so there's no confusion, especially amongst Jews. They, um, they have to describe the baptism and say, in the name of Jesus, right? So baptism, yeah, you're, you know, later Paul will talk about being baptized into this relationship or being connected to this relationship. If you're doing it for the sake of Jesus, or you're doing it according to the way he taught, ideally you would think there's a relationship there. Um, yeah? And, okay. So, and just trying to, to go quickly: Paul enters the synagogue, speaks boldly there for three months, and he's arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. When I looked up the kingdom of God in the book of Acts, it's always in a Jewish context, all right? The kingdom is in a Jewish context, and Paul almost never talks about the kingdom outside uh, having a discussion with Jewish people. And we read those verses. So anybody uh, in podcast land, and I, I know we do have 12 or 13 people out there who listen, they will, if they would just do a Bible study, they'll see that this, the idea or the teaching uh, about the kingdom of God, uh, it's just very Jewish. It wouldn't make sense, uh, perhaps to Gentiles, and it might even sound seditious, like you're kind of start another a revolution or something against, you know, the, the Roman authorities. Uh, so it stays... It stays in a Jewish context, and, and as we're talking about Paul here, when he is going to talk about this reality, a kind of a kingdom reality for Gentiles, he talks about being in Christ. I think they're very similar, they're overlapping, but they're a little, yeah, they're a little, uh, a little different. Uh, oh, and by the way, it is interesting that the Book of Acts opens with Jesus teaching about the kingdom to his disciples during the forty days uh, between his uh, uh, resurrection and his ascension, and it ends with Paul in the last chapter talking to the Jewish community in Rome, arguing about the Jew- arguing with the Jewish community in Rome about the nature of the kingdom of God. So it bookends, you yeah. know, bookends the. And it's, a, by the way, it's, it's any theme that's big in Luke is big in Acts, All right? Any theme. And the kingdom of God is huge in Luke, kingdom of heaven, and it's going to be big in Acts, All right? Because the two go together. This is like uh, bacon and eggs, yeah? Okay? Ham and cheese, sauerkraut and sausages. <laughs> Okay <clears throat> yeah, beer and liederhosen, yeah, <clears throat> okay, so uh, s- all right, so we're we're making progress. This chapter, by the way, has no sermon by Paul, which is kind of unusual. Paul later in a few he's going he wants to go into that stadium of thousands of people and preach, but his his uh, disciples won't let him, okay. So we have no sermon, but it says he does uh, mighty miracles. And now we come to the handkerchiefs and the aprons. And we have quite, as you can imagine, quite a lively discussion about (laughs) handkerchiefs and aprons. Um, And uh, what to say about handkerchiefs and aprons. This is the, again, I wanna be careful because I'm not adopting this view, but you can see why people will um, find value in relics something associated with a holy man has some kind of power, and we used a number of of scriptures we thought about uh, Peter and a shadow we talked about the cane of elisha, the bones of elisha etc et etc cetera, et cetera, that some mysterious way God used um, uh, physical uh, physical objects, and these physical objects uh, brought, uh, you know, brought uh, the, the miraculous. Um, also by the way, the tallit of Jesus. Uh, and so maybe this shouldn't be normative practice, uh, but at the same time we better be careful to say, God doesn't work that way, you know, maybe we should just be a little bit humble. Um, I think it's by the way, it's the same idea of laying on of hands. That there's a there's a power going from one person to another, whether it's for healing or for some kind of ordination. Like Moses laid hands on Joshua, for example. Yeah. Okay. Um let's see. Now we come to demonology in verse uh 13 uh, now all oh, the ancient world believed in demons But it was sort of the Jewish twist on things that believed the demon could possess a person Okay, this was a, a Jewish idea and it just goes to show how influential uh, Judaism was and the Eastern Mediterranean and throughout the Empire so 10% of the Roman world mostly in the East, Egypt and Asia Minor uh, was Jewish it means one out of ten. they had quite an they were not always popular as we'll see in a, f- a few verses but they had quite an influence even on the Greek Hellenistic world and I sometimes hear people go on and on and on about uh, Hellenization and how the church was hellenized and everything but it was two-way street. The Jews, and later the Christian church, brought Semitic, or not Semitic, really Hebrew or Jewish ideas to the Greek world, just as the Jewish people. And the church, you know, adopted uh, Hellenistic ideas. So people usually are complaining about the, the one-way street, how we were somehow distorted uh, from our so-called Hebrew roots. but. Hebrew roots have always, for quite a long time, have always been influenced, okay? Uh, Hebrew thinking always influenced the Greek world and the Greek world uh, influenced, I think, and, and a good example of this is the Great Republic of the United States of America, where, you know, the Bible has very, strongly influenced the United States and its history. But so too has American culture, which is not necessarily biblical. You know, like big is always better. <clears throat> you know, and uh, it'll always, it'll, things will always be better tomorrow. Wh- whatever, whatever those parts of American culture. So you can see that there's kind of a, a dance or an interchange, sometimes for good and sometimes not for good. So we have this guy Skeva and his seven sons. He claims to be a high priest. He's probably a fraud. Uh, he may be Jewish, he may not be Jewish. We even know that number of people went around pretending to be Jews in order to uh, exercise uh, demons or to get money. I used to know an Arab guy. He used to be down there at Mount Zion and uh, he wore a beard and a black coat and a black hat, spoke really good Hebrew, and would go around asking tourists if they wanted a blessing and collect money. Okay, so it's sort of the same idea. Um, down at, around David's tomb, he, he would do this, okay? And people would go to Jews, or people they thought were Jews, why? Because then they thought, well, Jews are a little bit different uh, and they must, you know, because they're different and odd, and at least, and not unlike the common culture, there must, they must—they must have some magic power, just like people throughout Europe would go and visit a gypsy. All right? Yeah, because the gypsies are not like Norwegians, and <laughs> then okay, the gypsies are. You know they they must have something I don't like those gypsies, but they must have something going for them and now, what's kind of why I think what sets this up uh, what's why is this why this is important because it really look first we have the handkerchiefs. is there magic involved here, and then we have this. this exorcist and his sons, and they're trying to use magic. But the magic doesn't work, exactly. Because the name of Jesus, and by by the way, Christians should realize this as well, is not a magic formula. You can't go around and say, in the name of Jesus, I need 10, you know, green and blue Cadillacs. And I'm asking in the name of Jesus, you know, and I should get my prayer answered. That's a form of magic in the Christian community in which you try to control God, right? And so this is something similar. And I think uh, from here on out, actually for the whole chapter, you're baptized in the name of Jesus. And then you come to someone misusing the name of Jesus. And then we have the whole encounter with idolatry. So this is about what distinguishes God's power from stuff that's fake, yeah? and some stuff that's fake. Now, these, these people, these exorcists are obviously frauds, but they're trying one formula after another because, you know, in the ancient world and maybe even, even today, uh, the demons you know, submit themselves to a higher authority, right? And there's no higher authority than Jesus because his death on the cross not only saves us from sin, it also saves us from death and the fear of death, but it also disarms the powers and principalities. That was Sunday Sermon in a way, all right? So, uh, okay, so this is the death and resurrection of Jesus, Uh, but just using his name and not having a relationship with him, Pretty bad, and Luke understands that an ancient audience likes a good story, and this is a good story with a lot of humor. Yeah, Jesus, we know the demons say, Paul, we know, but like, who the heck are you? <clears throat> and so they get their their tail their, their tailbones beat up. Yeah. Okay. So now just we're almost done with the introduction, and finally. Paul decides to go to Jerusalem, so Paul was, that's in verse 23, 21, Paul was about to leave town before the big trouble started. Maybe he could sense it, I don't know, or maybe he felt his time, uh, his time was up, okay. Uh, but he stayed in the province of Asia, Asia being Asia Minor, we're not uh, talking about China here, or, or Thailand, or India. We're talking about uh, just the the province of Asia, okay. And about that time r- arose a great disturbance. All right. Now we will begin, just picking through this a little a little more carefully. Any questions or comments? Disagreements with all of that? Any uh, objections? Complaints? I Say something wasn't politically correct yeah okay um, oh I have to go we we miss one thing also magic uh, related to magic and Ephesus was a center of magic so its as if Paul went there really to confront magic yeah and to confront idolatry and is it not true that everywhere the everywhere the um Gospel goes in the book of Acts. It runs into idolatry and it defeats it in a way or it overcomes it or it encounters it and and uh, wins a victory over it and uh, Wasn't that Paul's message to the Gentiles that they should turn from idols? Yeah, this is main it wasn't quite the message. He had to Jewish people the Jewish people he had a different message but for Gentiles he had a different he, in his first um, Very first letter to his very first church, uh, which is in. um, He says, "Is the following to them?" Says um, he's commending the people of uh, the small community of of uh, Thessalonica. I remember Aaron did a Bible study on this, remember, Michelle, and he he said, well, how many people do you think's in that church, right? And and we all, well, probably 50, you know. Okay, so this is what he says to those 50 people. He says, um, he says, in spite of your severe suffering, you welcome the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit, and you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaea. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia. Uh, your faith in God was known everywhere, um, therefore we do not need to say anything about it for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath." That's the basic message to Paul, to the Gentiles, turn from idols, turn from idolatry, serve a true and living God. And by the way, as we will go see in a minute, still a pretty relevant message uh, seeing that all of us according to John Calvin have an idol factory in our heart and uh, we may smash uh, the idols in our lives at the end of the day but tomorrow our heart will will make more okay so it's a sort of a constant you might say a constant battle against against idolatry I say all this because here, this kind of magic, um, it said that many uh, people were seized with fear, okay, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many who believed, okay, and now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. As these scrolls may have been just uh, little pieces of parchment that were rolled up and you wore them around your neck saying, you know, may the gods curse my neighbor, you know, Fred Smith, you know, who's a creep. Or may the gods bring me a husband. Uh, whatever it may be. These were omelets, yeah? These were good luck charms of one form or another. And um, it's interesting, again, when the gospel confronts ideology, idolatry, yeah, there's a, uh, there's economic and political consequences, yeah, <laughs> economic and political consequences, yeah, okay, all right, um, so, 23, we get political and economic consequences, you yeah. what is a, what, what's going to happen here, those are, um, Who's our goddess here? Yeah, yeah. She's Artemis. Okay. And yeah, pardon? They must have been making a lot of money out of. Oh, I'm telling you, this was like a. This was like a. Look, what is interesting here, isn't it? What is um, what is idolatry at the end of the day? Uh, Idolatry is anything that gives us security and identity, yeah, right? Security and identity, that doesn't come from God. Maybe you could even say happiness, yes? And what's going to be at stake here for this city? Okay, their economic security, right? And their identity, like, they're gonna take all the glory away from our place. And like, who are we gonna be, right? Uh, If there's no, there's, you know, we don't have this goddess in her reputation, you know, in her shrine, uh, uh, etc., etc., yeah. Um, Of course, Artemis, she's powerful, but she's also a killer, yeah, and This is what people slowly began to realize about the gods, maybe at first with Jewish influence and Christian influences. See, the gods of the Greco-Roman world, they may have been quote-unquote holy, powerful and different, but they weren't good, okay? They weren't good. And what makes the God of the Bible and the God of Israel holy is not only his power and his might and the fact that he's other, but the fact that he's good and he wants, he commands us to be good. And all of these gods, by the way, you know, they wanted devotion. They wanted you to go and do the ritual. But none of these gods commanded their followers to behave ethically or morally, right? You know, it was just just didn't exist. You come and you you sacrifice, you make offerings, you have statues, whatever, but uh, there's none, None of these gods would ever say, I want you to be holy like I'm holy. I want you to live like me or imitate me. And if people did, I mean, the world would even be a worse place, okay, than it is or or it was because these gods were pretty, um, they were tricksters, fraudsters, crooks. They were busy raping and, uh, causing mischief, you know, for the mortals and for other gods, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. right? So we have to kind of keep that, we have to kind of keep that in mind. So um, it says, men, we know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. By the way, this is people talking hyperbole. Yeah, so this is hyperbole. He says, and here's his basic message, that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is a danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess uh, Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her her divine majesty. Interesting, isn't it? (coughs) That you could rob a god of his majesty. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Kind of not a very secure god there, is there? Pretty weak. Well, then they began shouting, Great is... Artemis of the, of the Ephesians. And I love this language because, again, Luke tells a good story. Great. Uh, yeah. Great, uh, the whole city is in an uproar. They seize Gaius and Aristarchus. Paul's traveling companions, and they rush into the theater. The theater was huge, had, I think 250,000 people could sit in the theater, some incredible number. It was not a Roman theater, but it was a theater built on the hillside. The theater has been uncovered. I think that's the right figure, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. It sounds like a lot. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but his disciples would not let him. Good job, disciples, Okay. okay? all would have been, Uh, they sent a message saying, don't you go near that theater. The assembly was in confusion. Uh, Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. (laughs) It's sort of like mass hysteria, yeah? It's great. Um, The Jews rushed Alexander to the front And some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. All right. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But then they realized he was a Jew. And they shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, why do you think, what is this all about? They definitely feared the fact that their whole economic power and their yeah, was going to be right and their popularity right. But why, why, why do you think this Jewish guy went forward? What was he going to tell the crowd? Perhaps we don't mm-hmm. know for sure, but we can guess. Don't you think he was going to say, "Look, this guy Paul is not one of us." But when they see that he's a Jew, they're quite hostile. Because they also know the Jews are against idolatry. Uh, And the Jews in a lot of these cities suffered from anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism actually predates Christianity. For those people who think the Christians quite invented anti-Semitism, no, it existed, uh, it was alive and well in the Greek world, uh, the Greek speaking world long before the, the advent of Christianity. Okay. Um, and here comes the voice of reason. Yeah? The city clerk and he said men of Ephesus. And I think here's something <clears throat> maybe important and instructive for us. Because I think wherever Christianity or the gospel goes we should stop Look and listen, and ask ourselves, what is the ideology of the culture in which we're living, or we're taking the gospel? Because all a huge amount of human culture is based on one idol or another, is it not? Um, so we need you need to have a, some sort of discernment. And second, you we should know that the gospel will eventually confront in, in, in any situation, every situation, whether it's, you know, in a small kind of family, personal world, or whether it's in the, uh, the wider political, economic world, you know, it's going to confront, you know, one form of ideology or another. And by the way, there might, people will pay a price for this. <clears throat> Paul later talks about um, how terrible and horrible things were for him in Ephesus. Okay, how, how, uh, how much of a difficult time. And I think he um, he said an effective door was open for him, but in 2 Corinthians he talked about how hard it was for him in Ephesus. <coughs> he talked about um, how he despaired of his life. He talked about, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, how wild, you know, he was attacked by wild beasts, and he was probably thinking of humans, you know, in a situation like this. He may have even been in prison, uh, and he had many opponents, you know, in this city. So I know he kind of, in this chapter, it kind of looks like he gets off scot-free, but it's not necessarily the case. So there was a huge cost for Paul, and ultimately there's going to, For the early church, they will be martyred, yeah, for not, for, um, they'll be considered uh, misfits, mischievous, disturbing the gods, disrupting the social order, sort of as we said uh, in church on Sunday, uh, as if, just like some Christians are today. Somehow, if you don't support gay marriage, the world is going to fall out of its orbit, and in a very Stalinist way, people have have to force you to think like them. Yes, they have to force you to to go along with their agenda, whatever it is. Um, and uh, so there is this. Um, yeah, there's this. The early Christians and people, even in Ephesus, they would pay with their lives. In fact, a, what a lot of what the the the, this, this, the community wanted these early Christians to do was to simply go and to sacrifice to the or to pay homage to the emperor as a god. So you would go to the temple and you would bring some incense and you would put the incense on the fire, and that was it. So you could have easily said, "What's some incense?" Yeah, This doesn't mean anything. It's not a God. You know, the emperor, everybody knows it. But they refuse to compromise. Mm-hmm. They, refused, they refused to even do that. It was like zero tolerance towards idolatry. And by the way, that zero tolerance came from Judaism. That's what we learn from Jew, Jewish people. Okay, you don't just don't uh, bow down to bow down to this stuff. Okay, so so we will the gospel will confront idol, uh, idolatry uh, the idolatry of of the age. We need to know what that idolatry is. We shouldn't be surprised. Uh, we need to of course um, teach others to you know, totally reject idolatry. But look how Paul does it. Listen, uh, this is kind of instructive. And he says, um, he says, You have brought these men here, though they have not robbed temples, nor they have blasphemed our goddesses. Okay? Um, so that what was their strategy in all this? So I saw this, somewhere years ago and so I'd like to read it to you. It's from a book called Chris Wright and I think it's called The Mission of God or something. Anyone know that book? All right, so this is what he says. And where is it? He says that Paul really has a different strategy Here it is, I hope. No, I don't see it. Look, so I'll have to summarize it from memory. Uh, Ah, here it is. So I'd like to read you. So who knows Romans 1? Romans 1, Paul makes it plain, plain that basically all sin right, comes from idolatry. Yeah, that's the foundation of uh, that. uh, Idolatry is the chief sin, and people sin and break the law because of idolatry. Luther understood that. Some of you who know Martin Luther used to say, and yes, and occasionally we can quote Martin Luther, and he has good things to say. Um, He said, it's no accident, right, that the first commandment is you shall have no idols. You shall bow down to nothing," he said. Because when when we break the first commandment, we break all the other law, break some of the laws, or break all the other break all the other uh, uh, commandments uh, as well. Um, and so, Paul in Romans one, he's uh, he's got some very. Uh, Again, some very harsh, harsh things to say in uh, First Corinthians, he talks about the demonic being hiding behind or being just behind all kinds of idolatry but when it, in the book of Acts, he doesn't have that message. he has a different message for Christians than he does for the pagans, and so this is what chris Wright said, okay um, he said Romans, <clears throat> and it's very harsh uh, but a very insightful, I think, still, um, message against idolatry in Romans 1, highlights the wrath of God. But in Acts, Paul, when he speaks to pagans, he highlights God's kindness, his providence, and patience. Both, however, Chris Wright says, insist on God's judgment. He said, Romans pro- portrays idolatry as fundamentally rebellion and, su- and the suppression of the truth, okay? Acts portrays it as ignorance, all right? Romans points out how, it, how perverted the idolater's thinking has to be. The book of Acts points out how, abs- how absurd it is when you stop and think about it, okay? Um, it says Paul would um, say in a number of places that uh, in his epistles to Christians idolatry uh, is a lie okay but he did not blast Artemis before the, her pagan worshipers <clears throat> so he showed some wisdom and some of the some of the my friends who want to go uh, and be John the Baptist and <laughs> condemn and to stand on a soapbox, et etc, et cetera. Well, maybe they should take a, uh, a lesson from Paul, okay? Um, and Chris Wright <clears throat> goes on to say that in all of these cases, even though Paul doesn't quote scripture, he's basing them on a verse, on some scriptural passage or another, okay? <clears> okay. <throat> um, so um, that's kind of important. And, of course, Paul doesn't quote Scripture, as we said, to, um, uh, to pagans. Yeah, to those who don't know the God of Israel. He has a different, <clears throat> a different approach and a different, uh, a different argument. Comments? Yeah, questions? Can you I, uh, go with some examples on the cultural idolatry? Uh, is you said something uh, about the every culture has every culture has every culture has I- its idols, idols. yeah <coughs> well um yeah every culture uh, has its every culture has its idolatry i mean some cultures they uh, idolize families yeah um some cultures idolize the nation state. some people idolize their um, ethnic identity. Some people have more problems with money than other cultures and other societies yeah um, some you um, think... Um, People as, uh, people as uh, individuals, you know, they might be career, making money, um, physical beauty, social standing, ro- romance, one form or another, and then a community. Uh, com- communities will have their idols, including sports teams, yeah, because it gives you an identity. Well, it's fun, you know, in my case, to support Liverpool, you know, FC football. Because, you know, with Liverpool, you never walk alone. That's their theme song. But God forbid that I would take my identity from there. You know, that that would become who I am. You know, that I'm a a, a Liverpool supporter. And it's kind of sad. When I went to visit the the pitch, the football pitch, you know, they said that... um, the guy giving the tour, that twice uh, a week or so, uh, uh, on average, they receive someone's ashes uh, and they have to spread them around the field. Now, if that's not sad, actually, it's kind of tragic, you know, because people probably have spent their whole life identifying and connecting uh, with this thing. By the way, ministry can be an idol. You know, good things can turn out to be uh, in some way or another uh, idolatrous, you know. This, uh, this attitude, well I did it myself, I worked so hard I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, you know. Uh, what I have doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, come from God. I mean none of these things are, many of these things are not wrong in and of themselves. It's just that if you can't say to yourself, you know, I can't live without my football club, or I can't live without my playlist, or I can't live without my boyfriend, or I can't—I couldn't. How would I survive if you know if I didn't have a uh, a nice physique? If you can say I would not—I need something to make me happy that's created, or I need something—I uh, need get my identity ultimately from something outside of God, or I'm resting. I get my security you know what is what all the nations of the world spending billions of dollars for on <clears> to <throat> get guns and more guns and more missiles and faster missiles yet they don't have any security yet that's where the security now, I always have to say I'm not a pacifist you know I understand the need for defense et cetera et cetera but uh, maybe some people in America, their whole security is in the fact that they own you know, a number of handguns or shotguns or you know, semi-automatic, uh, you know, semi-automatic rifles. Uh, not, certainly not everyone's like that, but it's uh, it's the case, you know, it, you know. America's a violent place and some people need weapons to defend themselves. Or if you live in the woods, you know, the bears might eat you without... Uh, so. The, the argument isn't necessarily against guns it's just the the attitude that people yeah that people uh, have toward these things so th- they have to be discerned uh, they have to be confronted and ultimately we have to allow the gospel to destroy them yeah in one form or another yeah. um, maybe you so you uh, Ingrid, you give me some ideas. What you think might be idols? Um, maybe in the Norwegian context. Uh, a career, maybe. Pardon? A career, a good job. A career, yeah. Money? Yeah, money. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. That's pretty standard. That would be. Although some societies they're not so so worried about it. Okay. What else? Would be have been, have been family. family can be yeah. yeah who's ever seen that Israeli movie footnote mm-hmm. it's a great movie oh it's a fan. it's an excellent movie but in this movie this uh, this man asks this college professor he, he says to the college professor well they're both professors and one professor says to another they're talking about the truth, you know, and and the truthfulness of the situation. And the one says, what could be more important than the truth? And the second one answers, your family, you know. So, yeah, so families can be huge. And families can be a source of blessing or they can get in the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They can really get in the way. Not that God doesn't want people to have a good family life, but uh, certainly... Idealizing the family, or letting the family get in the way of our discipleship, is 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 quite common. Money and discipleship, and and the last few weeks in Luke, you know, this the theme has come up over and over again. You know, do you love me more than father and mother? Yeah. Uh, are you going to put your Are you going to let something get in the way of your allegiance to me? That's that's in Luke and Acts, really. And, uh, yeah, family and money kind of comes up quite, quite often for, for people, yeah? Okay. Any others, any other, uh, anyone else want to contribute to this idolatrous discussion? Hmm. Tradition? Tradition is good. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, you get a security mm-hmm. and an identity from tradition. And on the whole, I'm all for tradition. But if it, if it becomes a master, not a servant, then it's not good. Religiosity. Religiosity, yeah. Okay. Yeah, some people could just have just plain old. They like religion for the sake of religion. Yeah. Pardon? Collecting masterpieces or. What is he saying? Collecting masterpieces. Collecting masterpieces? Things. Oh, things, yeah. People feel. People. Look. You know, I have relatives who survived the Depression. Now, I'm not being critical, but they have to, the the Depression in 1929, yeah, they're kind of, they're not youngsters. But, you know, where do they get their security from? From making sure that the refrigerator and the pantry is full of food. Right? So, when you go to their house and you open the door, you know, 25, of, of the cabinet, in the kitchen, 25 cans of tuna fish fall on you. And you look in the refrigerator. Well, there's enough food there for three weeks. Well, that's understandable because that's a, the result of a trauma. But again, you know, it just means we have to kind of examine ourselves and ask, you know, again, where does that, you know, security, you know, security come from? Yeah, um, where are we? And it's hard. It's hard. And uh, we can say, yeah, I trust the Lord on Monday, but on Wednesday. Yeah, we're, we're not we're we're a little bit attached to the to something. Then we don't want to knock it over, or we don't want to destroy it. Yeah, reject it, confess it, reject it, burn it, as they did here. And you know, Grace, what do you think? I was, was trying to think actually of something? Yeah, all right. Um, most of it's been actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure we haven't covered everything. There's one more, which is probably a little bit false on ontology, but big in the world now, especially our men, pornography. So. Mm. Yeah, pornography gives, right? B- pornography gives people a, uh, yeah, some kind of, yeah, sense of satisfaction, and then they, of course, become addicted to it, mm-hmm. right? And they, uh, they yeah, can't almost live without it. Pardon? And they were collected and yeah pornography is quite uh, it is extremely dangerous oh, my goodness um, a lot of, look a lot of people worship their uh, competence yeah or or have faith in their competence or their skill um, and you know this is uh, these all these are false messiahs you know that people uh, um but here it's a question it's both a question of idolatry and magic <clears throat> and just to say a few words um that uh, you know magic is uh, is stands in opposite to a relationship with the lord yeah and um you know, sometimes we rely on a formula or oftentimes we rely this is the way the lord's always done it this is the this uh if I give $10, the Lord has to give me a hundred. If I if I praise the Lord and, and say thank you a lot, then everything's going to be okay. Uh, you know, even uh, I think in, even in the Christian community, the evangelical community, there's all kinds of magic people. They yell loud enough, long enough, a little bit like they were in the stadium there. You know, they keep yelling the name of Jesus. Uh, then, as if God's got needs a hearing aid or something, and He can't hear them. These are all forms of magic, and we again we just we have to be you know very careful. You know that there is no formula, and I think when God uses an apron and a and a handkerchief, it's also a way of saying there is no formula, and that the name of Jesus is connected really to a relationship, uh, and it should not be abused. Right, and we should be very, very careful about uh, naming the name of Jesus, using the name of Jesus, and not being flippant, flippant about it. Yeah. Okay. Other comments, questions, criticisms, complaints. Speak now, forever hold your peace. <laughs> My goodness, you're very silent, and very radically different than last week. <laughs> I once heard somebody say that the fact that it was a handkerchief, or it was a it was a lowly object, it wasn't like his robe that he flung. It was like a handkerchief. You know, it was like. The, oh, it be, was well, some people suggest. Yes, yeah, speaking of lowly, yeah. that it, it was his work apron. Remember, because yeah. he worked making tents. Yeah. He supported himself, or the handkerchief was his sweat, sweat you know. Yeah, the, um, sweat rags, you know. Yeah. It's like going to the gym with your pastor is and getting a, you know, getting a s- gym socks, you know, and sitting <laughs> them around <laughs> and people getting healed. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> but as soon as that happened, then it would happen all over the world, you know. People would be going to gym, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is one question. In this uh, translation of our life it talks about Diana of the Ephesians. Because Diana is the Roman name. Okay. So, Diana, Artemis was Greek and Diana was Roman. Oh, actually, I think Artemis actually comes from further east. But, uh, but the Romans called her Diana. After the princess, you know. <laughs> princess Diana. Princess Di. No, I'm not saying she was a I have to clarify this, you know, you can't say anything these days. You can't even be, when I said at the beginning, I I can be funny. Well, a sense of humor can get you crucified if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. So just for the the folks in podcast land, I am not comparing Princess Die to Artemis. Thank you. (laughs) (coughs) Thank you for